0: One of the most important chapters in the entire Bible, it's important because uh, Paul focuses on the resurrection and he says, apart from the resurrection, we've got nothing. The resurrection is the guarantee that our sins have been forgiven. If Jesus what hasn't been raised from the dead, then for all we know, we're still dead in our sins. And if we're still dead in our sins, then we're still alienated from God. The, this idea of forgiveness, I was thinking about that. Sometimes we get that... Uh, picture that that's what god is about he's about forgiving our sins we say you know jesus came and he died to forgive us of our sins but that's just step one what god is looking for is a relationship with us and the forgiveness of sins is just step one if i want to have a conversation with jerry and he has earplugs in his ears step one is we got to get the earplugs out that's forgiveness of sins it's removing the barrier that keeps us from relating to god and so uh Luke 15, it talks about the the sheep that wander and coins that get lost and sons that run away. All of those things are pictures of what sin does to us. It creates this gap between us and the Father. Forgiveness bridges that gap. It makes reconciliation possible. And in the midst of that's what God is going for. If Jesus hasn't been raised from the dead, then we don't know that that reconciliation with the Father is possible. For all we know, we're still alienated So that's why the resurrection is so important. If you're a skeptic on the the resurrection, I get that. That can be a hard thing to kind of get your mind around. I would encourage you, whatever it would look like for you to feel good about believing in the resurrection, begin to pursue that. I'd love to talk with you about that. I'm not going to be able to convince you of anything, but I might be able to point you in the direction of some things that may help you work through some of your skepticism. Because again, apart from that, according to Paul, we don't have anything. So that's where we've been. Uh, today we're going to look, start looking at verse 35. We'll look through the end of the chapter. Paul's talking about our resurrection body. So verses 1 through 34, why is the resurrection important? Verses 35 to 58, what type of body do we have when we're raised from the dead? But someone may ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? So that's what Paul is going to answer in the rest of these verses. How foolish what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you, uh, you do not plant the body that will be just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as He's determined. Into each kind of seed, He gives its own body. All flesh is not the same. Men have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds another, and fish another. There are also heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies, but the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind, and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another. The star is another, and star differs from star in splendor. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable, it is raised imperishable. It's sown in dishonor, it's raised in glory, it's sown in weakness, it's raised in power. It is sown in natural body, it's raised a spiritual body. If there's a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, that's Jesus, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural... And after that, the spiritual, the first man was of the dust of the earth, the second man from heaven, as was the earthly man. So are those who are of the earth and as is the man from heaven. So also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the likeness of the earthly man, so shall we bear the likeness of the man from heaven. I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery will not all sleep, but we will all be changed and in a flash in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brother, stand firm, let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Uh, Not a whole lot of expounding probably that's needed uh, in terms of just what is going on here, what's being said. Paul kind of sets up first, what kind of body are we going to have? And he says, well, first, it, it makes sense that we would have a body that's somehow connected to the one that we currently have you understand you plant seed you might plant a watermelon seed and it doesn't look anything like a watermelon but that's what comes from it is sown in or it dies when you put it into the ground and then it's raised or is resurrected as something new and something different that makes sense you get that analogy and he begins to talk about animals and he says you know there's fish and there's birds and they have their own kinds of flesh and their types of body is suitable to their environment A bird's body is suitable to being able to fly, a fish is being able to live in water, and they don't work in another environment. So God has given each animal, including us, a body that fits the environment that it currently lives in. In each of those bodies, there's some glory, that's that word splendor is glory, or some radiance that's uh, tied to each one. They're not better or worse, they're just each uh, suited to the environment that they're in. So those are the pictures that Paul uses. It's this idea of a seed. This, this thing that we have, when it's planted into the ground, that's metaphorical. When, when it's buried, when we die, it can be raised into a new body. Just like when we plant seeds, they're raised into something else. And it will be suitable. This body that we have now, Paul calls it an earthly tent in 2 Corinthians. That uh, This body suits this world that we live in now. It's not suitable for the next one. It's not suited for the new heaven and the new earth, so we need a new body that is suited to the new heaven and the new earth. And each one fits the the context that it's going to be placed in. And because Jesus was raised from the dead and got a new body, and he's the first in our race, if we're Christians, we move from being in Adam to in Christ. We talked about that last week. We're also guaranteed a new body as well. I think it's Philippians 321 Paul says that Jesus will uh, change our lowly bodies into a glorious body. It's that some people call that your glorified body or your resurrection body. You're going to get one. When you read in here and it talks about natural and spiritual, don't hear material and non-material. You're going to have a body in forever. New heaven and new earth, you're going to have one. It, and there it will there'll be something similar to what you have now. Now, if you if you go back and you look at the end of Matthew, at the end of Mark, at the end of Luke, and at the end of John, that's the only glimpse we ever have of what this resurrection body is going to look like. Jesus was recognizable. Um, people, if they saw him, they knew hey, this is Jesus. There are a couple of instances where it says that uh, people were prevented from recognizing him, which implies that they would have recognized him if God had not prevented them from doing so. He apparently can walk through walls or something. There's several times where the disciples are in a room and the the Bible makes a point to say the door is locked and then Jesus appears. So it's either some type of Star Trek teleportation thing or he's walking through the walls and appearing and, and, and showing up. We know he also ate. He did that to show them that it was a real body, that he's not a ghost. He didn't have to eat because their bodies are... This glorified body is not subject to decay. That's why we have to eat because we need... The fuel, your resurrection body won't need fuel. It won't need sleep. That doesn't mean, I don't know if if we're going to get to sleep or not. I don't know if we're going to eat. But if we do, it's not because we have to at all. It's not because our bodies are breaking down and need that point to rest and recover. That's the difference between being perishable and being imperishable. To to be perishable, that's corrupt, subject to, to decay. Imperishable means it's not subject to decay or control by sin. So anyway, that's the direction that we're heading. Jesus still had the scars. I don't know what that looks like for us. His scars obviously are different than any scars that we have. They prove something about who he was, and his scars were, uh, they, they carried weight that ours don't necessarily do. But there's some points of continuity between the bodies that we currently have and the ones that we're going to get. So for us, really what it's saying is you're going to get a new body, whether you're, you die before Jesus comes back, or if he comes back while you're still alive, you're going to get the new body. The issue is not, well, they're dead, and so they need something. It's that what we currently have now is not suited to this new heaven and this new earth. So whether I'm alive or whether I'm dead, I've got to make an exchange. I have to get this new body, and that's going to happen when Jesus returns. So that's really what's going on there. I don't think that's um, too tricky for many of us. This last little piece where Paul's talking about Death has been swallowed up. Sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. Uh, what's going on there, the wages of sin is death. We said last week, death, death is, is the big bully, the last enemy to be defeated. Uh, the reason that death is a part of life for us is because sin entered the world with Adam. The wages of sin is death. So when death is defeated, that means everything that led, led to death is defeated as well. And that includes that sin, sickness, all of these things are all swallowed up when Jesus returns. This idea about the law, is the law good, is the law bad? Paul says the law is good, but what the law really does in us is it just points out our need for a Savior. Either we keep the law and it leads to pride because we we followed the rules, or we don't keep the law and it leads to despair because we realize we're rebellious. So Paul says all of that gets taken care of. When Jesus comes back. There's no law at that point. The new covenant. The law is written on our heart. By the Holy Spirit. Sin is done away with. As is death. That's really what's going on in that passage. couple of things. Uh, for you to think about. This idea of resurrection bodies. If you want to read a little bit about it. Uh, Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis. The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis. It's not heavy like. Mere Christianity. Where you have to read the same thing. It's that's not that dense. It's not. Narnia, either. It's kind of, it splits the middle of those things. There's some truth in there, but it's a nice story. You can read it in two or three hours. Uh, if you want a picture um, of what this new body and what heaven may look like, it's a pretty good picture. It'll get your mind thinking of something that you kind of wrestle with. The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis. Same thing I was thinking this idea of a resurrection body, how does that impact us now? So, this new one that we're going to get. Uh, will not have any of the effects of the fall or of sin. So I wear contacts, so I'm assuming I'm not going to need contacts in the new heaven, the new earth. Not because the fact that I wear contacts is a result of any personal sin, but it's a result of the fall. My eyes don't work the way my eyes should work, and so I need help with that. I don't know if it means we're all going to have hair for those who are balding. I don't know about that, but the effects of sin. So if you've got... um, Some people have compromised livers because they they drink too much. That's going to be fixed. That's an effect of sin. Some people have compromised brains because they've done drugs. If you're a Christian, you're going to get a new one. The effects of that are not going to carry through. For some folks, we have bad backs for whatever reason. You're not going to have a bad back with your glorified body. The effects both of sin and of the fall are going to be taken care of. And it made me think about this. This is just speculation. I don't really know where to go with this but i'll just lay it out there and you can figure out um if there's anything for you some of us look the way we look as a result of sin some of us um are larger than we should be because of sin because we eat too much or because we don't exercise that's a result of sin some of us are larger than maybe, but for other reasons, there might be some genetic things or things in there. So I'm thinking for us, the glorified body will be smaller than the current one. That stuff that's a result of sin, the pounds that are a result of either because we're gluttonous or because we're lazy or whatever, those things will fall away. I also think there's the reverse. Some of us are thin because of sin as well, because we over-exercise and we under-eat. And I wonder how about this. What if the glorified body for you is a little bit bigger? (laughs) What if that's the way it goes? If the effects of sin, if they're not carried through from this body to the next one, if the reason you have 2% body fat is because of some sin issue, well then doesn't it make sense that that's not going to carry through? It kind of does to me. I don't know what that does for you in terms of your thinking. What it made me think about was what if I lived a lifestyle now that resulted in a body now that was congruent with the body I'm going to get? You hear what I'm saying? What if I made lifestyle choices now that would lead to a physical body now that's as congruent as possible to the body I'm going to get? And then you would need to figure out what are those choices that you may need to make that would lead to a physical body now that's congruent with the body that you're going to get. I don't think there's an ideal size in the kingdom of God. I don't at all. I think that there's what God is looking for from us. is: Are we making choices that are based on... You can make choices based on health. That's fine. Most of us make choices based on image. That's not fine. Some of us make choices based on laziness. That's not fine. We make choices based on convenience not fine, either, there are all kinds of reasons we do whatever it is we do, whether those things are healthy or not healthy what i'm just saying if if the grid that we push all of that through is i 'm going to get a new body and none of it none of my fit, none of this body i 'm going to get is going to be be the result of the fall or sinful choices, then what am I going to look like i don't I know i'm not going to have contacts, but beyond that, I wonder what am I going. To look like, and that might be something just for you to think about as you're the dailiness of the choices that you make. And I'm not saying anything about numbers on scales. I'm not saying or whether you choose to drink wheatgrass smoothies in the morning or any of that. I'm not. I'm not making those judgments. What I'm asking you is push all of that through the grid of, all right, if Jesus came back today and He gave me a new body, would it? How congruent would it be and you understand what i mean by that how congruent how similar would it be with the one i've currently got there are points of discontinuity or dissimilarity absolutely they're going to be changed and there's nothing we can do about some of those things the genetics some of those things the fact that our bodies break down that's just part of living in this world but are there choices that were you get it i'm going to stop talking about it so that's one thing i was also looking at this phrase and just as we have borne the likeness of the earthly man, so just as we have looked like Adam, so shall we bear the likeness of the man from heaven. If you're looking in your Bible, next to the word we, you probably have a little footnote, and if you look down at the bottom, it probably says, so let us. There's actually the manuscripts that we have that they use to translate the um, books of the Bible into English, out of Greek into something that we can read are kind of split. Some of them say... So shall we bear the likeness? That's what if you have an NIV, it says. Uh, many of them say, so let us. So it's two different ideas there. One is this future guarantee. The other is this encouragement to become something. There's support for both of them throughout the New Testament. So I'm going to take both of those phrases and, and play them out a little bit. This idea, so shall we become like Jesus? Because we, 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 do, we are currently like Adam. As Christians, we're guaranteed that we will become like Jesus. Romans 8.29 says we're predestined. That is, God decided beforehand that we would be conformed into the image of Jesus. That's the goal for us. You can see that as a guarantee, as a promise for you. It can take the pressure off when you're struggling. For some of you, it's with your body. You're struggling. It's falling apart. And that's just part of, again, part of age and the world that we live in. It's going to decay our bodies are perishable now. They're, they're, they're sown in dishonor now. They, they fall apart in a lot of ways. And for some of us, just knowing I'm getting a new one, and it's not going to be like this. I'm going to get a new one that's going to that's gonna look like Jesus' in Luke 24 and in Matthew 28 and in John 20 and 21. That can be enough to get you through some of the struggles with the current body that you have. For some of us, it's not physical; it's internal. We wrestle with some of the same things over and over and over again. And for you, just this guarantee: it's going—you're going to change. This is what God is about. He's changing these things in us. He's conforming you into the image of His Son. That's the work that He's doing today, and tomorrow, and next week, and next month. That's what He's about in your life. And so, there's a part of you that can just relax and rest. It's going to be done. For us, the issue becomes one of cooperation. Are we going to cooperate with what God is doing or not? He's already said, here's the goal. Here's, this, is what you're, this is what you're going to look like at the end. And then for us, it's just a matter of how much pain we have to go through to get there. We can either be some moldable. He can use his hands like clay on a potter's wheel. Or we can be stubborn and he uses a hammer and a chisel. But either way, he's going to accomplish his purposes in us. And so, for again, I, I hope that can be a bit of relief for you. I meet with engaged couples all the time. I think engagement, for those of you who have been through it, it's probably the worst time of life. I can't, it is, to me, I don't get it. I don't get how anyone is engaged for more than six months. Those of you who have done it, bless you. My opinion, however much time it takes you to plan a wedding, that's how long you need to be engaged and we can streamline the process. It's terrible in a lot of ways because you're in this already not yet thing. You're beyond boyfriend and girlfriend, you know where you're headed but you're not you're not there yet. You can't move in together yet. There's just there there are aspects of the relationship is not consummated. That can't happen until after you say I do and the only thing keeping you from it is the date that you book the church for. There's nothing in your relationship That's keeping you from progressing it's just this date on the calendar out here and when i'm talking to these couples particularly in the last six weeks most of them are they're going nuts they're talking about eloping and strangling people and all of these things that are going on during the engagement process and for them and what i say to them you're going to be married On this day, at this time, it doesn't matter whether the food is good. It doesn't matter if it rains. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if your mother is happy. It doesn't. None of those things, you're going to be married. It's locked in. If y'all show up and I show up, it's done. That's all. And sometimes just hearing that, it's going to happen. You're in the midst of all of this crazy and all of this stress and all of this frustration in your relationship because you can't move forward, just look at the calendar. On that day, it's going to be done. And for some of you, that's what this word is from Paul. You're going to bear the likeness of Jesus. You're going to look like him. And so as you're struggling and wrestling and are confused and all of that, just breathe. It's going to happen. He's going to accomplish his work. Look at it the other way. That so shall we. Look at it, let us, so let us bear the likeness of Jesus. That's an encouragement or an exhortation to become what we already are. And throughout the Bible, you'll see that, particularly in the New Testament, there are all of these things that we are. There are all these things that the Bible says are true about us in Christ. They're positionally true. I'm a son or a daughter, I'm... um, I'm chosen, I'm loved, I'm forgiven, I'm adopted, I'm all of these things that are 100% true of me because God says they're true of me. And then the encouragement always is then be who you are. 1 Peter one sixteen, Peter says, be holy. And in 1 Peter two nine, he says, you are holy. You are holy, so be holy. You are a son, so act like a son. You are forgiven, so live forgiven. You are loved, so act loved. Those ideas that... What we do should come out of who we are relationally with God. If you are here a, a couple of weeks ago, we looked at that identity statement. This is my son whom I love with him. I'm well pleased. The beginning of that, this is my son. God defines us by our relationship to him, not by what we do. He didn't say this is the savior of the world. He didn't say this is the lamb of God. He didn't say this is the king of kings and lord of lords. He's, all of those things are true. He said this is my son. And because Jesus is the Son of God, then he's also all of these other things. Same thing for us. Because, uh, because God has said these things about us, those things are true if we're in Christ, then we want to begin to, to press those things into the way we live. Again, if I can use a marriage analogy. First year of marriage, one of the biggest issues people have is they don't act married, particularly if they've been single during adulthood, people who get married at 22 or 23, it's less of an issue that I've seen than people who get married a little later in life once they've established themselves as a single person. And after you say, I do, legally, spiritually, relationally, you're married. You're no longer two, you're one. So put the seat down. Ask her before you make plans. Include him in what you're doing. Those types of things, you have to act married one of the biggest issues again people have the first year is they're still acting like single people because it's all they've known one of the issues for us as christians particularly again if you become a christian a little bit later in life all you've known is life as fill in the blank alienated from god life as a performer life as a loser life as someone who's independent from god like whatever that is and suddenly when you say yes to jesus that changes you're not that anymore, but because that's how you've lived for so long, the default is to continue to live that way. Again, it's like someone who's married who continues to live like a single person, like one, or excuse me, like two, instead of like one. It takes some time of kind of retraining to begin to function as a married couple, and the same thing is true with the Lord. It takes some time with Him to begin to live out of the truth of who you are, and there's Certain ones that stick, Certain of us, we get some of it initially, but there are other things that we kind of have to work. For some of you, it's the idea of being forgiven. That's a tough one. For some of you, it's an idea of being accepted, that you don't have to work. You don't have to prove anything. For some of you, it's the idea of being a child, that you receive, you don't earn. Whatever those things are, for some of us, we have those sticking points. And the, the encouragement here is, let's be who we are. All of these things that we just, that you just saw up there, are true of you today if you're in Christ. And they're true of you regardless of your performance if you're in Christ. Those are identity statements. So live accordingly. Last thing. Stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. So to me, that's you kind of have stand firm. That's this commitment or this command. And then you have a negative and a positive. So stand firm, and then as a part of that, don't be moved. That's kind of the negative. Stand firm. Don't be moved from the truth of all of these things that you just read on the screen. Don't be moved from the truth of the gospel. Don't be moved from the fact that Jesus truly was raised from the dead. Therefore, you've been forgiven of your sins. Don't be moved from the truth that because he was raised from the dead, you're going to be raised from the dead as well. That this life is not all there is. These things that are true, you don't want to be moved. From that we want to stand firmly in that, and then after once we're standing firm, then we want to do the next thing, which is give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. That's more the positive, the negative, don't be moved. Positive, now give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, don't be moved. That's an identity piece. Know who you are in Christ, have deep roots in your identity in Christ, and then out of that, there's the activity piece. Now give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. It's not enough just to know who you are. That should affect the way you live. That should affect what you do. And so you see both pieces there. And again, some of us fall in one ditch or the other. Some of us are, we're all about the doing side of things. We're we're wired that way. But our roots aren't deep. We're doing out of any number of reasons. But we're, it's not out of a depth or a security in who we are in Christ. For some of us, we fall in the other ditch, and we're totally comfortable with who we are in Christ, and we live like slugs. We don't do anything. We're not channels of God's grace to anyone else, because we know we're forgiven, and we know we're accepted, and we know we're loved, so then why does it matter what we do? And what Paul is saying is, let's hold on to both of those things. Identity precedes activity. Always. Identity precedes activity. Activity follows identity. Always. It follows. If activity is not following identity, then you don't you don't get it. We don't get who we are if that does not motivate us to begin to live differently. Just some things for you guys to think about. I'm going to take, some, I want to take a couple of minutes and pray, and then we're going to move into ministry. Y'all pray with me. I want to do two things. And uh, we we looked a, for a few weeks ago at this whole idea of prophecy in corporate worship. Words that strengthen and encourage and comfort. And so I want to take a second and give God a chance to speak um, one of those words to us. I, I want to pray about the message and then I want to do that as well. So you can kind of be thinking along both of those lines. God, first, uh, just out of this First Corinthians 15, well, we want to pray that we would continue to have deep roots in you. We want to know who we are. We live in a culture that defines us dozens and dozens of different ways, none of which are based on our relationship to you, based on our job, based on our marital status, based on our income, based on our looks based on our intelligence, our friendships. Those things are fine. They're just sand. And we don't want to build our life on that stuff. We want to have deep roots in who we are in you. And then the rest of that stuff can come as it does. So for any here today who are still wrestling through their identity in Christ, Lord, I pray that you would do a work. I know for some, they're like, for the love, this is months and years. Of the same ground. God I pray that today would be a day of breakthrough. For them. And it could be breaking through by doing nothing. By relaxing. By taking the pressure off. And just recognizing what you've already done. For us. During worship, I had this picture in my kind of run through my mind, and it was a a branch or stick actually that was bent, not quite in two, but it was breaking. It had not broken all the way through. If you've ever tried to bend a branch, just maybe it's like a soft wood and it's still alive. It just kind of it doesn't break all the way through clean. A lot of times you have to twist it and cut it and all those kind of things. And kind of the picture I got from the Lord was this is about some earthly relationships and they're being bent they're not dead this reason hasn't snapped all the way through yet there's still life in the relationship but it's not it's it's being broken right now not all the way through but it's being broken and one of the reasons it's being broken is cause there's being pressure put on it it's actually being bent and maybe the word for you, if you feel like that's in a relationship you're in, I think is just to, is to take the pressure off of the relationship right now. Give it a chance to heal. Give it a chance to go back to its natural shape. I don't think the intention in putting the pressure on is bad. You're trying to fix it, but you're not necessarily helping. It's straining something. And so you just need to relax. If that's a relationship you're in, I'd love to pray with you about that uh, during ministry. We're going to close with ministry. Bo will have a song. We'll have prayer teams up in the front. This idea of identity. Love to pray with you about that. If that picture of the branch resonates with you or any need that you'd have, we'd love the opportunity to pray with you. Um, Also, if you feel like during this, during this song if you feel like god maybe put something in your heart for our congregation i want you to come grab me and tell me and so we can see if that's something that we need to share uh, today so if you're not coming forward for prayer just be listening to the lord asking him if there's something he wants to speak to us through you you guys can stand up we'll close with worship